the nurses were like, you know, they were talking about their, like their boyfriends or something. And it was like, they just didn't give a <laughs> shit about like, you know, they're like, whatever with this kid. Yeah. And th- I see down the hall from my bed, this guy comes running down the hall towards my bed, holding these films. Mm-hmm. And he, is, he runs in and he goes, we have... He's like, this guy's neck is completely exposed. C1, C2 fracture, like his spinal column is completely exposed. He needs to be strapped down, no movement whatsoever. Oh my God. And I mean, that honestly, that happened. And they've like, people started freaking out. They strapped me to strap down like every six, eight inches of my body. And- um, You still in spandex? I was, yeah. You're not sweating because you're eight <laughs> minutes into your ride. But. <laughs> totally, yeah, but I was still in spandex. Hey there, folks. Happy 2020. Yes, good on you. For those of you paying attention, this is the second episode of the year. So I've already wished you, our fair listener, a happy start to the new year. But I'm of the opinion that happy new year is something we can say all the way until February. So I truly hope you're having a great start to the year. Let's now jump right in. I've had a surprisingly high number of doppelgangers in my life. That is fact. Ted, they will say, oh my gosh, you will never believe it, but I know someone who looks exactly like you. Well, my friend, I would believe it because I'm not kidding when I say at least once every few months, I'm told I look exactly like someone. Our guest today, Jesse Thomas, he is not one of those people. Okay, maybe throw on some aviators as Jesse is known for doing and I start to look a little bit of the Jesse look. More to the point, though, we do live oddly parallel lives. Let's see. Late to the sport. Professional endurance athlete. A background in economics. Goes on to marry an exceptionally elite athlete. And then just across the T's and dot the I's, starts a sports nutrition company. Bonus. He's got a great podcast. Nope. I'm not talking about me. I'm talking about Jesse. His podcast, by the way, Work, Love, Play, with his wife, professional runner, Lauren Fleshman, is great. Definitely check that one out. So Jesse is a professional triathlete. He owns Picky Bars. He co-founded Picky Bars. Jesse and I were at TRE, the running event. That's a big trade show for the running world held in Austin, Texas, late last year, 2019. Jesse and I are both ROCA athletes, so we had a shoot the following day. Presumably, and hopefully the photo that's going to be the tiny mm, call it little icon photo for this episode, a particular holiday shoot complete with Christmas sweaters. Oh, man, it doesn't get any better than that. Anyway, with lots of parallels and loads of great anecdotes in this conversation with Jesse from an athletic standpoint, from his professional story, his personal story, yes, that does include breaking his back. Oh, man, check this one out. It is an awesome episode today. Folks, this podcast often has sponsors. Not always. The sponsors need to align with what's going on in my personal mission, my trajectory in life. It has to work into a particular timeline. Podcasts are a lot of work to produce. And as much as they're truly a pleasure to do so, they're educational and informative to me as much as they are, I hope, for you. It is a lot to take the time to sit down and really go deep with these folks. It's a lot from them, and it's a lot from me. Equipment is not cheap. And my awesome producer, John Summerford of Bears Records, 
he wisely does not donate his time for this project. But, as much as you might think this is going that direction, this is not a sponsor plea. In fact, it's something of the opposite. I have mentioned Mountain Bike Afghanistan in the past. The website is mtbafghanistan.org. If you are able, if you are not behind the wheel of a car nor on your bike right now, I want you to visit that site right this very second, hit pause on this podcast, or make a mental note of it, and go visit this website. Started by a very good friend of mine, Fareed Nouri. His story makes my life look easy. Born and raised in Afghanistan, he and his family moved to Pakistan when the Taliban started to wreak havoc on his very young life. The opportunity presented itself for Fareed to travel to the United States at a very young age, and his parents pushed him to do it. His parents remain at home. They have had to go back and forth between Afghanistan and Pakistan. Fareed has been lucky enough to stay in the United States, away from a war-torn nation. Somewhere along the line, Fareed somehow made his way to Middlebury. Middlebury College, some 10 years after I found cycling and graduated from Middlebury. At which point, Fareed found and fell in love with the sport of cycling, just as I had. He's seen what cycling can do for community. He's seen how it can impact society. He's seen it move the betterment of health for the environment, for the, for the general betterment of humanity at large. Fareed has enormous goals personally on two wheels. He would like to represent Afghanistan at the Olympics. More importantly, he's seen the impact that cycling can have on, quite frankly, a war-torn culture. Now, now this is a personal appeal to every listener. If you have think that cycling has had an impact on you in your life, no matter your circumstance, please spend literally just one minute on mtbafghanistan.org. If you're interested in exploring more, I am proud to be on the board of this organization. I would love to chat more about it or introduce you to Fareed. He would be very excited to talk to you about it as well. Being a foreigner in the United States is not easy. What he has to go through every single day is not simple. He has not seen his parents in years. He is one of the most positive people I have ever met. If you know Fareed, you know exactly what I'm talking about. This, of course, is all a life very foreign to me foreign to most of our listeners, but this is a plea to humanity. If you think the bike can make the world a better place, please check out that website. Also reach out to me. I am tedking.com slash contact to start this conversation. I will leave it at that. That is it, folks. I do hope your year is off to a fantastic start. Let's dive into the podcast from here. Welcome to our conversation with Jesse Thomas. Have you ever recorded a podcast and not not put it out to the to the public? Um, just I wouldn't call it a podcast. One time when Lauren was gone, I um, was like, oh, you know, people really don't like it when we don't have a podcast out. So um, I'll just record with Jude. I'll just do something with Jude because <laughs> I did one one time and it was actually kind of cute and kind of funny. Uh-huh. And then I did this one with Jude like. It was like four or five weeks ago. 
And I was like, so what's up, man? Like, how you doing? And he was just crickets. Yeah. <laughs> like, he doesn't realize there's an audience. He was just not interested in talk. And I was like, this is, I sent it to Adam, our producer, actually, like we were talking about. Um, and he was like, so do you want me to publish this or not? <laughs> I was like, no, that's, it's, it's good. <laughs> Don't worry about it. And Jude is six. Yeah. He's is six, that correct? Yeah. You also have a two-year-old? Yep. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. Six and two. Wow. Olympic cycle. Uh-huh. That's how it goes. That's smart. Yeah. That's smart. Because the, the wife. Uh-huh. The wife's on the Olympic cycle. So it was basically uh, post-2012, post-2016. That was when we had kids. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Um, we will get back to the family piece. It's going to yeah. be integrated in this whole this whole conversation because I think it's a big part of your life. Um, you ran a 5K this morning. Yeah. You ran a 5K in a in a dinosaur suit. Yeah. Which was stunning. What was the time this morning? Um, the official time mat time was 17.36. Okay. But, yeah. So that's I enviable. I think that was a by, little bit short. By, by the non-runners in the audience, um, myself yeah. included. What is your fastest time in costume for a 5K? Oh, that's I definitely, imagine- that was definitely the fastest costume time, for sure. I mean, I don't know. I wanted to look up I haven't had time since this morning to Google the dinosaur costume world record, but it's, I might have it. You could be talking to a world record holder. I think we got to look this up. The title of this podcast should be Jesse Thomas, world record holder, dinosaur costume, 5K. And with that, we have named this podcast. I love it. I love it. So um, there, there's something to be said about the trifecta. The tripod is, according to my dad, who was a physics major, he describes yep. it as the most stable uh, yeah. structure. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I think that that extends to life as well. Yeah. So I think you have an interesting tripod of sorts in that you're a professional athlete. Yeah. You have a, a successful nutrition business and piggy bars. Yeah. And then family is a huge piece of that too. So I want to talk about sort of each of those legs. Yeah. Um, so on the, let's, let's start with athletic, but that's going to be prefaced with upbringing and life and how you got yeah. into it. Talk to me about your, your professional athletic career so yeah my my professional I mean my professional athletic career is all in triathlon um started nine ten years ago so I was 31 I was 30 when I started on the later side I would on the say. later side a little bit <laughs> yeah a little bit, a little bit. not quite the typical like cycling scene that you're used to uh-huh. you know um and uh but it was one of those things where I was a distance runner in college was a like you know national class um and then hurt myself really bad actually got into cycling for a little bit thought i was going to be a tour de france rider for for you know was climbing yeah no totally was climbing uh the ranks locally in um northern california riding my bike 20 hours a week um Mm -hmm. got to like three days before my first um cat two race in that first year and went over the handlebars and broke my neck. Oh yeah. And, um, and I mean, I literally thought I, I really thought I was going to be a professional cyclist for that, like five or six months that I was doing. No kidding. Yeah. And, um, is this, and, how close is this to college? Which, and I don't want to yeah. dismiss what you did in college because no, totally. you were a, a exemplary NCAA runner. Well, no, I wouldn't say that. I was, I was, I was decent. I was an, I was an all American in the steeplechase. I set the Stanford school record for a little while. Exemplary. Like I said. In, um, but so, 
the, so I did that. I broke my foot the fall after my senior year in my fifth year cross country season. Okay. And um, I'd been like 11th in the U.S. in the steeplechase the year before that. So my the whole plan was, hey, it's two it's 2002. I'm 22 years old. I'm 11th in the U.S. I got two years. I'm young. I got two years to pass eight more guys, mm-hmm. and I can make the Olympics. And um, that was a that was a long shot, but it was a legitimate shot. And uh, but then the next fall, I broke my foot. Had at the same time had left Stanford and left the um, kind of the insular like uh, um, medical community that you have there. So it's kind of like on my own, and um, was doing a master's degree in mechanical engineering, and just was like kind of it took forever to recover. So I started riding my bike and that prefaced the whole bike riding thing. By the time I finished my degree, I still hadn't really run that much. I was riding my bike almost full time ish, work, mm-hmm. you know, working, consulting part time with people. And then, uh, yeah, went over the handlebars there and, um, and I broke my neck in five spots, Holy C1, C2, cow. and was obviously, I'm lucky to be, talking and alive and whatever else. Did you know upon impact you'd more than just mess yourself up? No, I, so I won't go into the full details of the story, but it's, um, I go over the handlebars. I'm with a buddy of mine. I'm riding like 12 miles an hour. We're riding through a parking lot just to like get over to this road. And it just bumps my hands just enough. I'm like up on the hoods, just bumps my hands just enough. And I go over, hit the ground and he's like, well, are you all right? And I'm like, I'm like, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. The first thing I thought was, man, I hope I didn't break my neck because I felt my chin go into my chest like really hard. I was like, God, I hope I, but I shook my feet and my hands. And I was right. like, okay, that didn't break my neck. I sit up. I'm like, oh God, my neck is just really sore. I think I tore some muscles in my neck. My buddy rides back. We're only like a mile from home. He rides back to the house, gets the car, we made all the fucking mistakes you can imagine. Like, <laughs> this is two Stanford guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and drives back, gets me, gets me in the car. I'm like, we start driving to the hospital. I'm like, literally have both hands on the sides of my face, like holding my head still. Because, stabilizer. Like, yeah, because like going around corners, I could feel my neck hurt really bad. I walk in, get there. I walk in, I'm like, I think I tore some muscles in my neck. This nurse is like, okay, wait here for a little bit. It's yada, 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 same old, same old, no big deal. They're like, well, we'll, we'll take you in. Let's do, let's just do a precautionary x-ray. They go in, I get the x-ray, come back out. I'm still talking there, sitting there with my buddy. been there for a while. I can remember because it's like the, the nurses were like, um, you know, they were talking about their, like their boyfriends or something. And it was like, they just didn't give a <laughs> shit about like, you know, they're like, whatever with this kid. Yeah. And, I see down the hall from my bed, this guy comes running down the hall towards my bed, holding these films. Mm-hmm. And he's, he runs in and he goes, we have, he's like, this guy's neck is completely exposed. C1, C2 fracture, like his spinal column is completely exposed. He needs to be strapped down, no movement whatsoever. Oh my God. And I mean, that honestly, that happened. And they like, people started freaking out. They strapped me to strap down like every six, eight inches of my body. And, um, you still in spandex? I was, yeah. You're not sweating because you're eight <laughs> minutes into your ride. But. <laughs> totally, yeah, but I was still in spandex. Um, actually, yeah, they, um, because I still had my stuff on, they like cut it off because yeah, they yeah. just didn't even want me yeah. to move. Uh, and, um, and, uh, yeah. And then the next, 
you know, halo? surgeons coming in. No, it was t it was actually too unstable for a halo. So the, the the only option was to surgically repair it um, in the back to make sure that it didn't slide or to basically bolt it to the other to the other um, bones to make sure that it didn't slide around. So it's pretty nuts. That and is a nuts. massive surgery. Yeah, it was weird. I mean, the 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 delicacy. Yeah. Del how delicate one must be in order to take these fragmented bones and bolt them. That's yeah. That is terrifying. It's Were terrifying. You at, uh, the Stanford Medical Center. Yeah. Super. I mean, honestly, super lucky. Like I had, I had doctors, I had neurosurgeons and nurses come in and tell me they're like, you have no idea how lucky you are. One of the best people in the world for this is here now, and he's going to operate on you. And um, I mean, it was just, it was just nuts, man. So needless to say, I mean, that was like, you know, um, I said I was going to tell the short version of the story, but that's not something <laughs> I'm very good at. Questions. There we go. I like <laughs> so, it. I like it. So, um, you know, but it's, uh, but it's funny at that point, like even after I heard that my neck was broken, I just equated it with like a broken, like my a typical broken bone. I was like, oh man, that sucks. But, you know. I could still probably get to cat one by the end of this year. Like that was the first thing I thought, mm -hmm. you know? And I didn't realize at that point, I literally, I wouldn't ride a bike for like 18 months. Holy cow. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. And because my neck would be so weak. And so it, it was over the next like six to 10 months that I was like forced to be not an athlete and like take the next phase of my life. So it's pretty crazy. Which is wild. For yeah. what? A 22-year-old kid? I was kid. 24 at that point, yeah. Okay, and yeah. I mean, for the previous yeah, totally. 21 yeah. years, you were an athlete. Totally, probably yeah. affiliated and, and calling yeah. yourself an athlete. Okay, so yeah. how do you occupy your time for the next, call it well, that, months Yeah, that was it. Year? I mean, I basically, um, that I started, I had been doing a little bit of work with this startup in, uh, uh, based out of Stanford that I was bu from, with my buddies um, from the engineering department. And um, I, I literally just had, I probably jinxed myself. I had just had the conversation with their CEO, a uh, friend of mine, like three days before that wreck, like, hey, just so you know, I really want to pursue this cycling thing. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to, I'll keep working for you guys on part-time. But, yeah. but then when that happened, it was like, okay, I'll jump into that <laughs> and we'll just see how it goes. And then I did that for three, four years okay. in the Bay Area while I kind of, while my neck kind of rehabbed and I kind of just became a 20, you know, a mid twenties dude in the Bay area, not an athlete. There are worse places to be. Totally. Yeah. Um, where it you was born actually and really fun. What's that? Where are you born and raised? Bend, Oregon. Okay. Yeah. Um, so you're down in Stanford, you're in the Bay area, you are pursuing startup life in the, this is, this has gotta be the heyday. Yeah. 2003 to 2007, I was down there. Holy smokes! So it was post. It was post bust, yep. but it was on. But it was uh, or tech tech bust. But it was on the re rise of everything, like Apple, like all these guys, Facebook, like everybody's kind of starting and and going going bonkers again. Mm -hmm. And um, yeah, and we were one of the ones that did not go bonkers. Very good. <laughs> and so <All> right. <laughs> I like <laughs> I like to say like I went down to my Stanford. Lauren Stanford reunion a couple years ago, and we were the only non-millionaires at the table. <laughs> so, like 50, it was like a big round table of like 15 people. Yep, yep, yep. <laughs> yeah, Accomplished so, in your own professions, yeah, but totally. somehow not multi-multi-millionaires. <laughs> totally. Um, yeah. Meanwhile, did you meet Lauren while undergrad, while yeah. cruising around? Yeah, okay. she, was a, she was a Stanford um, distance runner one year behind me. Super duper successful. 
um, so we, we started dating, um, pretty much like within the year or within the year that she started there and, uh, dated, like I like to say off and on, but mostly off. Right on. Yeah. Couple, I broke up with her four times. Mm -hmm. Somehow she took me back again. The last time it was, it was every single time was my fault. Yeah. Stupid move. Yeah. 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 (laughs) Where's she born and raised? Southern California. Okay. Yeah. So that's delving into the, the family piece. Yeah. Which there's going to be a, a amalgamous conversation, but yeah, continue on the, the track of professional athlete, professional triathlete. How do you, at what point do you start segueing, cycling back into your life? Yeah. And- so it was like, um, it was right at that. I'd been working at the startup for like four years. Um, Lauren and I re- reconnected. Actually, we were broken up for a big chunk of that. We reconnected, decided we were going to, we wanted to kind of live together, get engaged and she was moving to Eugene to race, uh, to continue to run professionally for Nike in Eugene. And I was like, I'll go to business school for something to do. And, um, and then it was after business school that it was during business school. I was really like kind of in a college scene again. I really, I let myself enjoy it much more or like in a much different way. Cause I didn't really get the like typical undergrad experience. So I was like, Oh man, I get to go drinking with my buddies or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So I let myself enjoy that. But then by the end of that, I was like, man, five years, I haven't really been that active. I just started exercising again. It felt good. Mm-hmm. And, um, I learned to swim a little bit during that time. We had gotten back on the bike and I was like, I'm going to do, I want to do a triathlon. Obviously had some like early success in like these really small little local races. And I was like, I think that this would be fun. The economy had just imploded again um, in 2009, right when I graduated. So having an MBA was like of zero value. And I was like, well, if I'm not going to make any money, I may as well not make any money racing triathlon. You get MBA at... Stanford? At, at Oregon. Oregon? Yeah, Very, nice. Oregon. Very yeah. nice. Um having some success at some local triathlons, is that is that being a little vague? Are you smashing it? Are you winning by country miles? Are you podiuming? Top yeah, 10%? I mean I was yeah, I was You were smashing it. Y- yeah, I, I think I won every okay. one that it, yeah. I mean, but you know, you come from that background. Yeah. That, that's just you have that background. And so it didn't I was such a poor swimmer, but it didn't matter because my one, my run was strong, but also my bike was strong just from the little bit of biking that I had done, yeah. you know? So it was, so yeah. Are you starting out on the rinky dinky side, like super small, the sprints? Are you yeah. saying, I want to go straight to Kona? What's your, what's your goal when you're I did a local it? sprint. I did a local sprint, um, won it. And then I was like, well, I'll go do, um, I'll go do a San Luis Obispo triathlon. And I won that. And then I went to like wildflower in the, in the, uh, on the Olympic distance one. And I won that one. And then I went and then I won age group national championships or whatever, but it, but which is, but that's like a typical story. I mean, it sounds, but for somebody that's, that has the trajectory of a pro, that's kind of like a typical story. At least I think the only thing that was atypical about it was that I was 30 years old. And so, and so it's a little bit, it's a little bit different deal. And then what ended up happening was I talked to Lauren. I was like, you know, I don't really know that you can actually make any money being a professional triathlete, but I want to see if I could. I went to Escape from Alcatraz. I, I let myself train for a little while. I went to Escape from Alcatraz and I got sixth in the pro field as an amateur, okay. like as an age grouper. Yeah. And, and I would have made 500 bucks yeah, yeah. <laughs> or whatever. <laughs> you know, but I'm like, oh man, I could have been a professional triathlete now. And that was the, that was the spark that was like, okay, maybe... 
I'll spend the next like six months see, like taking it seriously and see what can happen. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Which obviously took flight. I yeah. mean, it, it, you took those six months and, and ran with it, so to speak. I mean, yeah. Um, and triathlon is a, is a considerably different sport than cycling where you sign a contract and you race for a team. I yeah. mean, you, you yeah. have to be a privateer and you have to source your bike and your, your equipment, yep. your clothes, your helmet. I mean, that's your norm. It's, it's different to me and, and presumably a lot of my audience. I mean, talk to me about that process. As yeah. you're segueing from amateur to professional, how do you start sourcing? Well, sponsors? I was really lucky because at that point, like that's where the, that's where the being 30 years old and having a business background um, came, like became valuable, right? Because um, I started you know, I, I went in and then that, and then also a whole bunch of luck. You know, I had the, the, I had this, this really big lucky thing that happened where I won basically like my, my first or like second, but the first half Ironman that I finished as a pro, I won. <laughs> and it, and it was, um, wildflower mm-hmm. and I won it you on, I won it in a completely unbranded kit wearing these like super dorky gas station aviators on a borrowed bike and like there was, there just happened to be this YouTube <laughs> streaming thing that where somebody interviewed me right afterwards and like the shock and awe on my face was so authentic that yeah. it kind of like was viral in the sense that anything could be viral in like triathlon. Uh-huh. And, um, and so I kind of had this like legitimate fun moment that then like was attracted, attracting to sponsors. And then because of my business background, and like understanding, you know, marketing and, and, and all that type of stuff. I think I was able to like capitalize on that more so than like the typical athlete. And, um, and, and that, that enabled me to accelerate the professional side from the business, like the income, the sponsorship side of my career much, much, much faster than like somebody that typically would. By the time I was like my, in my second year as a pro, I was actually making a legitimate income in the sport, which I think is, is pretty rare. Yeah. Cause it's yep. just, you know, there's just not a lot of money to be made period. Is and it, so. is, is triathlon feast or famine or yeah. can you get along on a pretty level playing plateau or it's very, I don't know what cycling is like, um, because it's, it's more team-based contracts, right? Like you said, yep. but like, yep. um, triathlon, it's very much like the top five to 10 guys in the world make good livings, you know? And when I say good livings, I mean like hundreds of thousands, right? That at least that I'm not, I'm not one of those guys, but like, let's say 300 to maybe a million for the best people or whatever. Mm-hmm. And maybe the top guys, I and mean, maybe Jan Fernando is making more than that. I don't really know. Yeah, but yeah, like, yeah. but, the, but that, that's kind of like where it is. And then you go like next 10 guys, are making a, what I would say a good living, you know, six figures more. And then you go like maybe 10 more guys after that are making a living. And then you go after that and everybody's supplementing their income. It's like 40 guys in the world making money doing it. Mm -hmm. Half that number of women probably, to be honest. And, um, and it's a very steep curve. And so I was kind of lucky to be in that like second tier for a lot of my career. And where I was, you know, definitely making more money doing it than I ever thought I would, and very happy with it. Yeah. And and um, but uh, but part of, part of that was race success, but a big part of that was just marketing too. Yeah. So taking taking a step back to family. Yeah. Talk to me a bit about 
Lauren and her career because she is she is exemplary as a runner. I mean, yeah. I think she I, I heard she has more Stanford All-American. She's set the record for most All-American titles at Stanford. Yeah, of any sport. Yeah, totally. Any sport. Yeah, she she was like definitely one of the most successful collegiate distance runners ever, if not the most. Uh-huh. Um, and then she uh, she had a really like uh, still by all measures, not all measures, by most measures, a very successful professional career too. She, but the thing that, uh, she won a couple USA championships. She was seventh in the world in the 5k and realistically five or six of those women in front of her were, were doing drugs. Yeah. You know yeah, I mean? Yeah. Realistically, at least a few of them have been popped since then. So, um, uh, but she never made an Olympic team, which was a bummer. She's probably the best American distance runner on the women's side to never make an Olympic team, which is kind of a shitty like a bitter title. To yeah, title to to hold. No but um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But incredible, um, you know, incredible athlete, and and maybe more important than that, you know, just that she has transcended. I think her results even as like a spokesperson for women's sports for. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, gender gender equality for for athlete um, uh, empowerment, um, and uh, yeah, that's so, huge. Yeah. Um, real quick question: the sounds like she was very fast in the five k. How how hyper focused do you have to be in those di- in those distances? Is it five k, ten k? Yeah, she was it- definitely like a five k athlete okay. um, for that last you know for for the majority of her career. And, and then- um, I mean, she but she also ran. She ran fourteen fifty eight in the five k, and then but I but she also ran fast fifteen hundreds, yeah. Fast, yeah. I don't think she ever ran a ten k to be honest, but uh-huh. I um, bet she'd do well at it. She'd be fine. <laughs> she'd be just fine. <laughs> um, so then the bigger question: talk to me about the balance of of a married professional couple. Yeah. Um, how do you balance your schedules? How do you balance your race schedules? How do you balance life at home? Yeah, I mean that's kind of like the story. I mean that's like a, the story of Lauren and I's relationship in general is like how do you? I wouldn't call it two alphas, but it's kind of like that. You kind of have two alphas, yeah. and that doesn't. That's cool when it like when you maybe when you see it from the outside, but then from the inside, it's a complete fucking mess because you don't have like a natural primary support person. And so, uh, and are we twins? I know, right? Seriously. Go on. Go on. So, so seriously. So it's, so yeah. I mean, honestly, dude, it was a mess. Like, you know, we we're both very supportive of each other. Obviously, we love each other a lot. But like, um, I'm not gonna lie. Like, the rise of my career professionally, which happened much later than hers, was hard on her. Mm-hmm. You know, and. Um, and, uh, you know, and then even, even prior to my professional career, the, the fact, even when we were married and I was just in business school, like I'm not the standard like support, like husband guy that's like, who's making a big part of his life, like his wife's athletic career. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, that happens a lot. And the no fault to those guys that do that. There, there are guys that make themselves and their, and their partners way better athletes because of that. But mm-hmm. that just wasn't me. And Lauren, the same, you know? And so um, there's pluses and minuses to it. Yeah. yeah. Staunch, uh, I don't want to put words in your mouth. I mean, there's, yeah. there, is a, there is a significant part of independence to both of you. Totally. You're going to have to operate yeah. and figure out how to co-mingle. Yeah. Um, so 
I presume now you're being serious when you have a six-year-old and a two-year-old. Those are in Olympic cycle years. Totally. Um, at what point does Lauren retire from from professional racing? Well, she's done. Okay. Yeah, it, 2016 was basically the end. It wasn't like the intended end, but yep. it was like, hey, I'll have. She had a she had a rough like. After she had Jude, she did come back. Jude is your oldest. Jude is our oldest in 2013. Uh-huh. I think she won USA Championships again in 2014, maybe. Holy smokes! Yeah, and um, I think so. And uh, and then actually had, I think. Um, so she came back. She came back to a super high level. But then, like the last year, even leading into 2016, she was hurt. Like it wasn't. It, she was kind of like starting to break down. Didn't. Have, and then since Zadie, she and she will flat out say this. Um, her body just has not cooperated, and she blames Zadie for it. Or you know, she blames having that second kid. Yeah. I mean, yeah, and, yeah. and 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 she's, you know bitter about it i mean to a certain extent you know not like unhealthfully so i don't think mm-hmm. but like it's a it's a cruel world man having kids like you know aging in general as i've experienced now is really tough athletically but then having kids man it throws your body for a loop you know yeah. both times did for lauren so yeah no we have not even had our first yeah but purely having conversations with laura reading books about yeah and we know they're having a daughter. I mean, it, it's given me a whole new perspective and empathy. And, you know, there's only so many words you can say. You can't put yourself in their shoes. You can't, like, you, you are can't. having the child. You can't. I mean, this it's is two in, dudes impossible. talking about it. So you, apologies you to anyone Yeah, out no, there. totally. And I mean, I think, and you just have to be, you know, yeah, just like you said, supportive in the ways that you can. Yeah. And, um, and hope for the best because everybody has different, different experiences, right? Uh-huh. And um, some women come out of it stronger i mean there's a lot of women that do and you could argue that lauren maybe maybe did but um sure it's hard no it's hard in, in certain ways and i mean it's funny to hear one. particular arguments when and they say yeah when you have a uh, child your body is going to change physiologically and yeah. you have more red blood cells yeah, yeah, and yeah. they're just like that that yeah all right maybe maybe one step but forward, your hips might also be yeah. like completely disjointed and you and like because of that you have hamstring problems like chronically i mean there's like all this weird shit you so know so much stuff I'm yeah learning. it's yep. it's hard to very know. true so okay amid amid all that somewhere yeah. along the line picky bars yeah comes into existence yeah go yeah so <laughs> when i started training after i finished business school and i was like i'm not gonna i'm not gonna do another startup. I'm just going to see if I can consult and, and race. Um, started training a bunch. I was eating, you know, four to 6,000 calories a day. And I was having all these stomach problems, which were, uh, which were a pain in the ass for me, but also really, um, unpleasant for Lauren. <laughs> and, um, and so take us into your bathroom. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, and, um, so she was heavily incentivized to create, uh, to try to fix that problem. And she thought that if I that if I ate more real food and less like processed energy food, that <clears throat> that that would help. What was and, your diet? Were you traditionally eating healthy, but a lot of I prepackaged mean, stuff? Or? Yeah, a lot of prepackaged stuff. Um, you know, not like real food based. I would say like processed, a lot of processed things. <clears throat> you know, um, energy products that were like created in a lab. You know, all that type of stuff. A lot so, of X's and Y's. Yeah, and those yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. she was really like, "I want to make you an energy bar that's that's real food, but but um, but 
performance macronutrient profile. And, um, and that was it. And she came up with some, you know, or she started mashing stuff together, basically her and Steph, our other co-founder. And, um, they came up with this thing that we called a picky bar because we were super picky about the ingredients and what the, how many grams of carbohydrate and protein and all that other stuff. And then is this, this is sort of a pre uh, mass awareness of celiac and gluten-free. Yeah. And yeah. That was actually one of the waves that I would say we rode in on a little bit nice. was, um, the gluten-free wave. Um, it wasn't like a huge part of our, it was part of it, but it wasn't like, it wasn't like this is a gluten-free bar. Mm -hmm. You know, it was just like all these ingredients, all these ingredients are gluten-free. They're also soy-free, dairy-free. Um, they're inherently healthy. Inher inherently healthy. And, 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 and um, the, whether or not you're celiac, those things tend to be more upsetting to your stomach, particularly if you're an athlete that's consuming a whole bunch of food. And so, um, so that's where it kind of made sense for us. Steph, actually, our co-founder, is celiac, which was a big part of the reason why we made sure everything was gluten-free. Mm -hmm. um, but, uh, but anyway, so we did that. And then, um, you know, they, they were making them. I was just eating them. And then actually the way, that, the way that I got involved with the company, they'd been doing this for a few months, was they were, I overheard a conversation with, that they were having about how much they should charge people when they were going to sell them to their local running group. Uh -huh. And, um, and I was like, they said that they were, they, they were like, how about a dollar a bar? And I was like, or th I just heard him saying a dollar bar <laughs> and I was doing actually some consulting work in product development, product management. That was my background. Um, on the computer and I was like, my ears just piped up. I was like, whoa, um, hey, wait a second. Let me help you figure out how much you should charge. Yeah. And um, not that- This not a losing that, endeavor from the beginning. Totally, yeah. Not that Lauren and Steph, I mean, you know, they're intelligent enough to figure it out on their own and they would have done that. But that I kind of got involved and I was like, this is, you know, this is cool. It was fun for me. What ended up being fun for me was that I had spent my, all of my professional career prior to that in- product development and never in like marketing, sales, like distribution, operations, like once you actually have a product, all the other things. And so for me coming from, from my MBA at that point, it was like, wow, this is the whole other side of the business that is interesting mm -hmm. to me. And then I just jumped in and helped them start to take it. It's like, I, I say, Lauren was like the spark. Steph was kind of like the fuel on the fire and then I was kind of like the the train that like put it on a track and like kind of started to, to like move it somewhere. Does anyone of your your little trifecta there but um yeah. have a particular culinary background um, or just no not in particular Lauren had a human biology degree from Stanford which helped with the, the formulation yep. uh, from a from like a physiological standpoint but no they were just messing around in the kitchen and then when you're Given your MBA background, even your business and consulting background, um, what sort of products had you been consulting on? Primarily high tech, yeah. but but um, but not like software. Yeah. So I, I had done. Um, I actually have. I don't say this in any way to be egotistical. I say this in just like a super <laughs> random thing. I have two patents that are attributed to me. Cool. Um, me and, and one other co-designer um, for, one is a hydrogen um, a hydrogen generator, and the other one is for a fuel cell for power that, that powers um, 
flexible fuel cell to power like accessories. And um, if you do a patent search for Jesse Thomas, they're on there on yeah. the USA. So, that, but that was my thing. I was a mechanical engineer, did that kind of on the product develop, like on the, the bridge between heavy engineering side and like kind of need finding like product development side. Um, but yeah, so that was my former life. Very good, yeah. Thomas Edison. Yeah, well yeah, no, totally. I, like I said, it's just a random fact <laughs> that nobody would know and that doesn't matter. The, and I will say both of those products were entirely unsuccessful. Okay, okay, <laughs> like, very good. Like I said, didn't make any money off of them. They're just spent they're a lot of other people's money to make them. <laughs> pure potential waiting <laughs> yeah, to happen. Yeah, okay, right. so give me the continued trajectory of picky bars. Uh, you've gone from buck a bar to let's actually make some money bar. Yeah, um, you're going to run clubs. How do you how do you scale? How do you? Well, um, we were we were really lucky. We um, well lucky and just like didn't didn't know what we were doing. Um, are you in Bend at this time? We were in Eugene still. Okay. Yeah, and we had um, we had some really early press because uh, with Runner's World, just a super tiny sidebar thing. Like Lauren and Steph are working on this thing, and Steph actually got an email from somebody from this editor at Runner's World that was like, "Hey, we heard you guys make an energy bar and you're selling it to this running club." And Steph was like, yeah, we're totally doing it. Um, PiggyBars.com, check it out. PiggyBars.com did not exist when she said that. <laughs> and so they, they made this thing. I have to create PiggyBars.com, figure out how to do that, how to, how to actually sell product on PiggyBars.com. And then we get this little plug in the thing, and, and some people come to our website, and um, they start buying from us. And then that was right around the time when social media was just starting. Lauren had a Twitter account. She was an early taker to to Twitter and to blogging. And, Lovely. Um, Lovely. and so we had an audience that was following Lauren primarily that we could be like, hey, this thing exists, pickybars.com, order from us. And um, so we were like early to direct to consumer. And that was how the whole thing started. We didn't even have, we weren't even in a running shop for, at least a year after that. And for better and, and in many ways for worse, like retail has always kind of been like the stepchild of our business. Um, and we've primarily been direct to consumer since then. Man, oh man. Yeah. There's, there's so many questions from that, that yeah. last few sentences, meaning, um, you go from Steph saying that there's a website to shoot, we have to all of a sudden fulfill Presumably a heck of a lot of orders. And no, even no, if it's no. not a heck it of a lot, pretty like, small. you have to fulfill yeah. some orders. Where, yeah. um, what are the roadblocks in terms of finding the space and production value and, and permitting and uh, packaging? It was a and very slow burn, right? Okay. We were we were um, we did eight thousand dollars of sales in our first three months when okay. we launched in October that first year. It was this like total side thing where we like I would get an email every time somebody ordered, and it would happen like every two days, and we'd be like, "Oh, we got to make some piggy bars," yeah. <laughs> and, then, and but nobody cared because it wasn't our. It wasn't the thing that we were trying to do. So were they being fulfilled in a in a plastic? Yeah, we were wrap, making them and ourselves. Then also in a cardboard container. Literally dime bags. Okay. Yep. <laughs> <Right>? Excellent. <laughs> so, Dank. It was Eugene. We were going full in on Eugene. We uh -huh. had easy access to dime bags, and um, and stickers, just sticker label going over to seal it. And we were making them ourselves in our home. We had a domestic kitchen license, mm -hmm. and um, and then it grew steadily from there. The big, the next big thing was Lauren had uh, did the New York Marathon the next year, 
and had a um, and had an article about her that was done. She was on the cover of Runner's World. She had a fair amount of media, and that was kind of the next stage. So it was literally like a year later. Mm-hmm. We did, you know, maybe in that last three months of the next year, we did like seventy thousand bucks, right? But it was still, but I mean, you're still like, this is still very much like a side project. Nobody's trying to make, you know, tons of money off of it or do do anything. So yeah, you and Lauren are, are obviously competing as you're doing this. What is Steph's hustle? Is she now she stepping? W- she was just starting to compete as well. Okay. Unknown. Okay. No I mean, really like, you yeah. know, um, or, you know, had 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 some success in college, but but not nothing like crazy obvious. Yeah. And um. And then, uh, and then what ended up happening over the next like couple years? I mean, the next year, actually, when Lauren did the New York Marathon, was still was also the same year that I won Wildflower that first time. So we got a little bit of exposure from that. Mm-hmm. The next year, I was on the cover of Triathlete Magazine. So it, we like it kind of just like grew from PR and social media. My social media following started growing, and um, and that was it. You know, we got like a I I hired a a kitchen manager we were still making everything out we made everything out of our out of our kitchen for the first 18 months and then it was right in the middle of 2012 at the end of 2012 we were using all university of oregon students they were all graduating or leaving for the summer and we were like we better find somebody to make our bars mm-hmm. and so we found a contract manufacturer this small place that had never done contract manufacturing before and they took us on at this really small amount and we started with them and it was, they were great, you know, I still have a great relationship with them. We're not with them anymore, but it was like the blind leading the blind for a really long time. <laughs> and, um, and we just, and then once we got in there, then we could be a little bit more aggressive with growing the actual business side, like the sales side, but it was still like, we weren't, nobody was working on it. I mean, we were working on it in our like part-time spare time for the first like three, four years. It was really like, it was probably 20, it was like four years after we started that I was like, I'm going to really work on this a little bit more, you know? So, yeah, what was... Hire some people. What was the, what was the impetus? What was you stepping on the gas? What was the gas on the fire? Um, it was just that we were like trickling, like things became, like the, the business kind of slowly grew to where it, to where it became... Um, there was more financial weight to it. So you're, so you're a little bit like, well, I mean, gosh, if we screw this up, like it's could be kind of scary to us. We, we picked up REI the year after that. Um, then, so we had like legitimate distribution. And then we had um, a thing, a big thing that changed it was um, Trader Joe's. We, mm-hmm. had a tra- we had an incoming trader, like from a Trader Joe's buyer that reached out to us. And that was literally the week of my first Ironman in 2015, I got, we got that email. Yeah. And so, um, and I was like, holy shit. Cause my, I had this incredible success with my first Ironman. And then I'm like, my athletic career is like blowing up and my business is blowing up and fuck, this is way more than I can handle. <laughs> like what the hell am I going to do? And, um, the Trader Joe's thing was a total loop. And, uh, you know, so. And yeah. you, with, with presumably a, TJ's order, you need to, you need to scale even more. You need to grow yeah. big. Yeah. So grow what, what was interesting about that, I mean, so to give people context, cause I don't, 
it's I feel like business numbers are, are it's weird. I feel like business numbers are kind of like training numbers. Like I don't know why it matters if people know what my power is or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, so I'm fairly open with that stuff. But we were we were like a million dollar company, let's say, before we got the Trader Joe's um, PO. Yep. The Trader Joe's PO was a million bucks. Yep. And so we were like, how the hell are we going to make this? How are we going to make it? Our co-packer can't make it. Mm-hmm. How are we going to afford to buy it? We don't have enough money to buy it. And so I had to figure out what are we going to, you know, what are we going to do? And um, that was that was really the impetus. I did that first Ironman and then we had this Trader Joe's thing. And that was the first time for about three months because I had done an Ironman and planned to take a big break anyway. I worked like full time on the business for like, let's say three months to get the Trader Joe's no thing kidding. launched. Yeah. And then, um, and then, uh, and then once we got that launched, then it was like, fuck, I got to get back to my Ironman career. Like there's some idiots out there that think I'm going to win Kona now because <laughs> I won this one random Ironman. Uh-huh. And so, you know, and there was, so 2016 was a nuts year. Lauren also raced the, you know, wasn't doing her Olympic trials that year. We were in Trader Joe's. And then, um, but then the, the thing that ended up happening was uh, Trader Joe's dropped us like, shit, I mean, like not even three or four months into into having our product in there. Can they give you a reason? Do they? Yeah. Do they? Yeah. So what, what ended up happening was um, we had a, the buyer that discovered us, brought us in, ushered us like 90% of the way through the process. She then left. And I was like, oh, you know, this is done. It's not going to happen. I was pretty bummed. The new buyer came in and was like, hey, it looks like so-and-so had you guys in. Let's just keep it. Let's just finish it off. She finished everything off. Um, But it was from, it was immediately a different relationship. You know, obviously Mm -hmm. she didn't discover us. And I was kind of like tried my best to cultivate the relationship as somebody that didn't know what he was doing. You know, hey, I'm going to be out in Boston. Can we meet? Blah, blah, blah. You know, um, not really, not very much reception to that. And then uh, we were there. We had a purchaser who placed the million dollar PO, told us, hey, I'm going to place another PO in probably like 12-ish weeks. Six weeks later, he placed another million dollar PO. Mm-hmm. And we were like, oh my God. He's like, it's going, it's going really well, you know, whatever. And then um, Literally about like 12 weeks after that. And I had done some communication with Trader Joe's, obviously trying to, hey, how's it going? You know, blah, blah, blah. Can I meet up? Um, it was literally about 12 weeks after that. The buyer was like, hey, your product's moving s- slower than we thought. We're overstocked. Like we're not going to buy it anymore. Holy cow. And it was a, like a one sentence email. I remember, it, I remember it very, very specifically because it was, we were on vacation three days after Lauren's Olympic trials race. And it was just like, the shittiest bomb ever to drop on the middle of a vacation. As a doozy. Yeah, it was brutal. Um, how do you, how do you move forward there? How do you pivot? How do you? Yeah, we um, deal. Yeah, we did a. Well, to Trader Joe's credit, I mean, and you know, and you know, buyers make the calls that they want. I mean, that that's just that's how it goes. And if we were selling like hotcakes, like we probably, you know, we might have stayed. So who knows? But um, to Trader Joe's credit, they didn't like, they were a great partner in the sense that they didn't like send back the product or like make us, you know, whatever, take back stuff. Um, they kept it, they sold through it. Um, we, uh, but we had three, almost $400,000 worth of product that was kind of like prepped for Trader Joe's that we ate 
you know, bad, bad pun intended. <laughs> and, um, and, uh, and then by the time we were, because we went from like kind of 1 million to like this, like 3 million spike, we had, we were, you know, very profitable that year too. So by the time we basically ate all the product and then paid taxes, a few hundred grand on, of taxes, we were basically back to zero. Like we, we had literally made, we'd had some revenue, but we made no money off mm -hmm. of the entire transaction, mm -hmm. which was lucky in the sense that um, I was very close to hiring like two to three expensive people. And had I done that, we would have been out of business to yeah. be honest. Like there, and that's, and that's how a lot of companies go out of business. They get a big wave and we were lucky that we, fell from the wave, but like didn't die. Yeah, it's almost you know? a timing thing. I mean, that, that worked out fortuitously. Yeah. And yeah. presumably your time in Trader Joe's, even if it's three months, four yeah. months, a year, whatever it is, that's huge exposure. It was good. We still we still have people from in our surveys and whatever, like years later that are like, yeah, I discovered you at Trader Joe's. Yeah. We still have people that ask, are you guys in Trader Joe's still? Yeah, you guys you know? should be in there. Or like, why? hey, I went into Trader Joe's. You guys aren't there. I'm yeah. like, oh, it's been like three years. <laughs> Um, you anyway. what's your job? Your job title? Are you president of Picky yeah, Bars? Are yeah, guys... CEO. Okay. Yeah. Presumably you wear many hats. How many, how many folks do you have working there? Seven. Okay. Seven now. And so we've kind of, we've kind of rebounded back up, you know, um, it took a while, but we've rebounded back up from that. Um, like I said, doing primarily direct to consumer stuff, but it's, um, I've spent the last year working full time for the first time. And, um, and I've spent, and kind of like riding the ship in a lot of ways, make slimming the company down, to be honest. We had more people a year ago, even though we're 30% bigger than we were last year. Nice. Um, and uh, I think it's really hard to like, I, I realize now that m almost all of my triathlon career, we were overstaffed because I wasn't there enough to tell people what to do and more importantly, what not to do. So there were like, you know, so I think that's the thing that I've realized now. Um, so yeah, that's what we do. So that that side of Picky Bars, that whole series of stories, yeah. um, give good examples of, of positives and negatives that work harmoniously ultimately as your company continues to grow. Uh, talk to me about roadblocks, successes, things that have happened in your in uh, in triathlon. I mean, were you you broke your neck once upon a time yeah. when you were an aspiring road cyclist? Did you have many injuries as a triathlete or? I did. I, I didn't have a lot, but I, I had one big one that was, that, um, that was, that was scary. I broke my right foot in. So wildflower was kind of like the, the thing of my career that ended up being a big part of my career. I won one, then I came back and I won the second one Dang. with a whole bunch of pressure with this, like kind of, I was like this unknown on the cover of triathlete magazine and people were like, he's one, one hit wonder or whatever. I won that one, which was awesome. And then I went back to the third one and was really like, I think I'm going to be top five in the world at, at the half Ironman world championships. Like I was, I was hitting it out of the park. I broke my foot winning that race in the race, in the race. Oh. Yeah. I remember it and, um, f finished the race and limped away, told my mom, 90 seconds later while she was giving me a hug. She's like, I love you. Great. And I was like, I'm pretty sure I broke my foot and stress fracture. Yeah. Stress fracture. And, um, and, uh, and then, uh, so that was scary and it was really scary because the next, so eight weeks later, my son was born. Okay. 
So it throws this whole like, then you have like a kid coming in, you're trying to recover. I'm like barely tasting professional athletic success. Like this dream that I've had since I was like seven. Yeah. And I'm like, oh man, I'm doing it. Like I'm making a living. Like I could be top in the world. Like, and oh man, now I'm hurt and it's taking forever and my kid and I'm not sleeping. And uh-huh. like, am I, is it ever going to come back? <laughs> uh-huh. And it took a really long time. I didn't race again for a year until the next wildflower. Holy and, smokes. And, and then that wildflower was very emotional because I was f- underprepared. Even though I'd been swimming and biking a lot, I'd run like... 30 total miles prior to the race and was able to put together a good enough race to win it again. So then it was kind of like this hugely emotional thing because I had my son was there and it was like, I went through this whole year and it was like winning wildflower again. And like, it was, and then it was kind of like back. So that was a big hiccup. Um, other than that, I was really lucky, man. You know, I, I, I had ups and downs for sure. Like I had shitty race. My first, the, like a, the, um, the, the first Ironman that I did was a huge up. I won it, um, but it was two weeks after a like pro- what should have been my best world championships performance ever in the half Ironman world championships. It was like definitely a top five day for me. I got a really, you know, it's like they say in uh, Shawshank, no, nobody's guilty in Shawshank. Yeah. I got a really shitty drafting penalty that I do not believe oh, I was drafting cruel. on. Yeah, it was cruel. But I, I came off the bike in fifth place, and I'm a strong runner, you know? Yeah. And um, But I had to sit there for four minutes and uh, and let Fook. 30 guys go by me. Holy cow. And so that, that, was the, that was the time. And I never got a top 10 in a world championship, which I'm still bummed about. Yeah. You know? And um, so that was the... That was it, and so that was obviously like a massive letdown, um, and then but then followed by this amazing high doing the Ironman. So I don't know, so it was a mix. It's a lot of stuff happening. I hear you. Yeah. Um, so a lot of a lot of professional athletes, especially in endurance sports, are very siloed, and they have their professional life, and they they live like monks. Um, yeah. And that is all they do. You obviously have a lot going on with uh, home life, two kids, and then also CEO of Picky Bars. As as these two things are occurring simultaneously do you are you able to are you the kind of person who compartmentalizes pretty well and lets them work separately or is there sort of a a harmonious balance that happens naturally is there like a poetic coming together or are you pretty are you pretty analytical and this is work and this is pro and this is life and this is it's a little it's a little bit of both of those things because i think like when we like when I talk about balance or we talk about balance, it's, um, I think a lot of people like think that that means like you're kind of, you're kind of like always even spread and that, that that's not necessarily really what it is. It's like you have times of focus and times of like fault dur- you know, or unfocused during those times. It's like I said, like the Trader Joe's things hap- thing happens, even if you want an Ironman and you feel like you're at, the, you're near the peak of your career, like this is an, this is a thing that you have to, you have responsibility and it's an opportunity. You got to go full in on it. And so like I had to, you know, and I was lucky that I had a really good, I should credit my coach. Was really good. Works with <clears throat> professional athletes, but also works with executives. Hmm. So like, um, understands that kind of like ebb and flow of, um, you know, balancing those things. 
that couldn't be any more applicable. It's, it was That's perfect. Amazing. Yeah. yeah. So I, he was a good fit for me. I was a good fit for him too. Yeah. And, um, you know, so we had, so we had that. So <clears throat> yeah, it's a mix, you know, like some weeks it's very like even keel. You're kind of doing your workouts, you're doing your work, you're hanging out with your family. And then other weeks it's like, there's a family thing going on. You got to be really, really present for that. Or there's a work thing or, or, you know, when I would do my Kona builds, you know, it'd be like this next 12 weeks, I'm just not going to be in the office that much. And sorry, kid, I'm not, I'm also not going to spend very much time with you, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. and that's tough. So yeah, yeah, it's a mix of it. Which, which to some degree, given that you're still <clears throat> professional in many regards and you're still married. I'm a professional you're still a dinosaur costume racer yeah, now. <laughs> naturally. I mean, you got a new career going, but, but it speaks to the ability to have awareness and say, I need to, I need to hyper-focus. It's, it's okay. It's not, I need to now put in a 60 hour week or whatever it is. I need to be hyper-focused at work and not freak out that your training is, is coming out of. Well, and what it, what it really requires is support from the other people. I mean, that, that, that's, that's the, that's the main thing. Like if my family isn't cool with me doing the Kona build, then you're screwed. Yeah. If my if my employees aren't cool with me doing the Kona build or me taking off to spend because I really need to spend time with my family, then you're screwed. And so it's all, and my coach, yeah. if my coach yeah. is like, what the fuck? Why are you messing with, you know, where we can't, what do you mean? I, you can only train five hours a week for the next two months. Cause you're working on this Trader Joe's thing. Yeah. You know, like you, you just, you need support. You need people to get it. And so that, that to me is the main thing. And, and the only thing that I try to do is like set like clear deadlines of like, Hey, this is, this is a focused time. I'm sorry, but I'll, I'll be back. Mm -hmm. And, um, and try to give them that assurance of it and, and then make sure that I do that. And after every big Ironman, it was always a week with family. That's it. You know, That's huge. yeah. Doing nothing else. And really the next like four weeks, six weeks, just trying to be as present as possible. So yeah, it's interesting. So keeping with the, the trifecta, um, let's, let's silo professional Jesse Thomas as a professional athlete, professional uh, CEO of Piggy Bars. And then that is one facet. Family is another huge facet. Mm -hmm. The third thing that I'm the, is the crux of the question is what is your, where is your R and R? Where where do you find peace? Where do you, like, are you a religious person? Do you yep. like yoga? Do, is it purely having time with your family and your mm -hmm. kids? Do you like to read? Like, how do you, how do you rest, relax and recover? It's definitely family. That's the, that's that that's the main thing for me. Like I do love watching movies yeah. <laughs> and, and watching TV. <laughs> I mean, I fucking Great love answer. it. I, I love it. Like, you know, it's the only, like, I love going to a theater because not only am I watching something that's entertaining, I can't be on my phone. Uh -huh. I can't be thinking about work or thinking about training. It's like isolation, enjoyment, relaxation. So I love that. Um, but I feel like I ask so much of my family that I don't, I almost feel guilty, you know, if I'm doing that, unless I'm doing that with them. Yeah. And so, um, so my, my relaxation is hanging out with my kids. So whenever like, and my, and my wife. And so whenever I just really try to, you know, now I, I 
schedule my days. And I have actually for the last number of years, the, the, the blocks have just changed. I schedule my days at least when I can up to eight. I'm hanging out with my kids from eight to five or five thirty. I'm doing work, whether that's picky bars or training or whatever. And I'm kicking as much ass as I can during that time. And then when I'm home, I'm done and I'm, and I'm hanging out with them. And then there's some version ish of that during the weekend that is more time with them and hopefully less time training depending on the, the time of the year. And, uh, and that's it. So yeah, man, that's, that's the relaxation. And yeah, I love that part of it. Beauty. All right. We're, we're zeroing in on our, so Sweet. last, last trio yeah. question. Yeah, no problem. One favorite place to ride a bike Two number one place that you would like to ride a bike that you've never ridden three with whom living or otherwise, would you like to go for a bike ride? Wow. And four, what's your favorite movie? Okay. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> Hard hitting question. Uh, let's see. Do, let's see. The first thing that popped into my head on the bike ride would be, um, Well, actually, well, I'll just be honest. I don't know that it's my favorite, but but I love it. The first thing that popped into my into my mind was McKinsey River Trail and Bend. So I've been really in a mountain bike. Uh, we, you and I talked about that yeah. earlier. Been yeah, really yeah. in a mountain bike biking lately. Yeah. And for me, like exercise is all about exploration. And so and I so I love the trails, right? Because sure. you're like, even even though you can definitely explore on road, like I I love being on trails. It just, it just feels more natural, much more exploratory. Yeah, to it your does. Point. Yeah, totally. Agree so. More. I love that. Um, all the trails in and around Central Oregon. It's just super fun. I mean, you could say Deschutes River Trail as well. That's probably my favorite place to run. Riding bike there is like not interesting enough. It's yeah. a little bit too easy. But um, and then uh, when you mentioned the place to ride that I haven't, the first thing that popped into my head actually was the Alpe d'Huez. Ooh, nice. Yeah, I don't know. Just as like a cool like I mean you know maybe the most iconic road in the you know, world. That's for, a bucket from, list. From, yep. from a site. And I've never done it. And, um, cool challenge, like fun. And, and, uh, there was a, if one race that I, that was hot, that was, would have been the next race that I would have done had I stayed racing pro was the Alpe d'Huez triathlon. Oh, no kidding. They, yeah. Cause it, because total bucket list race, they have a swim and then you, and then it's net, you just ride up mm -hmm. basically. Mm -hmm. And then you run up there. It's like a gnarly. Gnar that sounds heinous. It does, but it's like so no perfect. No PRs are ever set. No, totally. <laughs> and it's perfect for me because it's there's no drafting. You 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 literally you probably ride a road bike. I mean, yeah, you probably uh, not even yeah. on a TT bike. So gnarly. Um, but anyway, and then person I would like to ride with, man, I don't know. Fictitious. Yeah. Um, Barney, maybe Barney. I don't know. I have I have Barney. Oh man, I have I have no idea. First thing that popped into my head was Barack Obama. Does he even ride? Does he Perfect. even ride bikes? Uh, I'm sure he's gone for bike ride. Um, he seems like it'd be a nice guy to like share a ride with. You I know? completely I don't know. agree. Like, and it'd be, and it would. I'd really. It'd be really interesting to pick his brain. Right. He's now. a conversationalist. That's he would. A good, yeah, totally. Good so, exploratory conversational yeah, totally. pace. I dig it. I dig it. Um, yeah, and then favorite movie. <sighs> 
God, there's so many good movies. That that one that one's impossible. How about favorite movie of late? I mean, talking about the the relax, recharge, going to the movie theater. What? Don't even say favorite. What's the yeah. most recent movie that you can think of I that you watched? I did see. I actually. So when you have two kids, <laughs> you, Great you don't see a lot of movies. Uh-huh. But I did go see something recently, and I cannot remember what it was. Um, God, I went and saw it with a buddy, and it was something that was supposed to be really good. Was it? And I can't. I'm in I the identical remember. spot. I, can, I cannot I went remember what it was. Movie not too long ago. <laughs> I don't remember what it was. It was an amazing cast. I can't say this. DiCaprio? I forget who was in it. Yeah. What is it? Oh, oh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I didn't see that, but I do want to see that. That has. DiCaprio and and Brad Pitt, those two yeah. handsome gentlemen. Yeah. Okay. Quentin Tarantino movie. Yeah, good yeah. movie. Yeah, that I want to see that. I've, I've heard that that's good. The ones that I have been watching recently, um, not in the theater, are all the Star Wars movies. Because I had only watched the original Star Wars movies. I'd never watched any of the other ones. Mm-hmm. And Jude, my son, is now coolly old enough to watch those and really get into them. So we started with one and we're working our way all the way up. Oh, we have cool. one more, we have eight to go. Yeah. And then nine comes out in like three weeks. And so the prize is gonna be, you know, the prize for us watching eight movies yeah, yeah, is yeah. to go to another movie. But uh, I'm pretty psyched about that. Way to pay your dues. Yeah, to- <laughs> totally. I totally. do want to rap, but yeah. that's a curiosity. Yeah, why why is it why are kids these days so into Star Wars? Is it because their parents have introduced it? Is it Legos? I don't know. I mean, They're do you everywhere. not think that they were into it like when we were younger? Maybe not. It wasn't as big of a deal. I, I, I definitely know. wasn't. I don't know. Right. I didn't I, grow yeah, up with it. I, I didn't either. And um, I think there's probably um, my gut would be just like better commercialization of like the merchandise. Yeah. You know, like you look at like Star Wars Legos, like that shit didn't that's, exist. That's there exactly were Star it. Wars action figures and like sure. whatever else, but like. You know, I think all that has has really helped, and yeah. So I I don't know. So we're driven by commercialism. Yeah, yeah. Good work, modern society. That's it. I mean, my kid, you know, shit for his for his birthday party, I bought him this twelve pack of lightsabers, so he and his yeah. friends could just run around breaking all of them. And uh, well, that is the perfect wrap to our conversation is, yeah. because. Let's go back to a trade show. Yeah, yeah exactly. Jesse, I thank you very much. No, totally, man. I look Thanks. forward it was to fun. hanging out all day tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. Peace. Yep.